Hello and welcome to episode 119 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, how's it going, my friend? Is that a new backpack? I see I see like stacked backpacks over there. Is that like... No. Is that like a creation of your own design? I'm not allowed to buy new backpacks right now. I've been grounded. But are you allowed to design new backpacks right now? Yeah. Listen, you can't stop the art, the creative expression. That looks like the backpack caterpillar of of the thriller slash horror movie. <laughs> the backpack centipede. Also with us, the godfather, Dave Harbarger. Welcome to my creative expression. The joy I get each week of just hopping in before you introduce me, because it used to be by accident, and then it was a bit, and now it's just it's just who I am. Yeah. Sh- Shane, is it just me, or does Dave have like a Cheshire cat vibe right now? Like his eyes are like <laughs> wide open, and he's smiling and it's a little unnerving yeah i don't know he look he looks wide awake for a monday evening if you ask me you know what happened i got my hair cut and so you're seeing my face in a different proportion right now because there's a lot less hair on top interesting this is why my eyes are wide my wife cut my hair oh cute not your kids uh the kids did first and then the wife to try to salvage (laughs) it you know every time you get your hair cut when you're my age it's like is it going to be the last time because that's, <laughs> that's how I feel quite back. often. Yeah. I'm awake because just before we recorded, I had a uh, cup of tea and a nice slice of coconut cake. You had a cup of? Cup of Earl Grey. Mm. On this week's episode, I am back to set the record straight. We'll kick off by sharing some final thoughts on Historic, now that I've had a chance to balk at some of Shane and Dave's initial reactions last week. So that's what this whole show is about. You invited us here to this party to just tell us we were wrong. That's the whole episode. Not that you were wrong, but that I haven't had a chance to tell you what I think and change your mind about certain things. Mm. Stands like episode of 118 is now no longer canon. <laughs> we're is being rewritten. Then we'll dive back into spoilers for our final installment of Strixhaven picks to click. Where all the Strix at edition. But first, let's housekeep. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Clayton G, Coulter A, and Chase L. The Triple C's. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that funny? I hope all of them are very active because then they'll be like, what's up, Triple C's? (laughs) They all joined today. That's amazing. Very cool. Thank you so much for joining the, the three of you. Also, thanks to Nicholas D for going up a tier in their patronage. We appreciate you all for all of your individual gestures. Also, shout out to a couple new reviewers, Agent Hunt and Defoe89. Yeah, Stan, I went and read Defoe89's review, and I have to ask, first off, how do you feel about the fact that they were born in the same year as you, apparently, from their screen name? Just guessing. Still not 131? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that'd be closer to 132, but... That's also true. Uh, it's wild. I thought I was the only one born in 89, but I guess there are others. But also, you apparently played against Defoe 89 at a pre-release in Amsterdam last year in the before times. What do you think about that? I think that is very cool. And I wonder if this is also one of the people who then invited me to their home to play Commander. I really don't know. And I invite Defoe 89 to find me on Twitter. DM me at Medium Gallery. 
They already said you were nice, so I think they'll probably take you up on that. <laughs> you know, anyone else who wants to DM me, slide into those DMs. Yeah, if you want to become a citizen of the Dive Down Nation, like the Triple C's did just today, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down. You know, sign up. A little buck a week. You know, you get access to the super secret Slack server, the awesome chat area for all sorts of magic and non-magic related hangouts go off from there pins stickers signed cards sign the dive down specifically uh dave designed play mats all sorts of cool stuff help us pick an episode every six months well actually you tell us what to talk about and we usually say okay uh, and yeah, it's, it's the best place to hang out. It's the only place I hang out and talk magic on the internet. So patreon.com slash the dive down. We appreciate all of you citizens out there and citizens to come. And if you want to support the dive down while playing magic on magic online, check us out at manatraders.com, the rental service that we use for renting decks to play modern and occasionally pioneer. If you go to manatraders.com, and use code the dive down when you sign up, you will get 15% off your first three months of rental services. Manatraders.com, longtime friends of the podcast. Check them out. You can also support us by downloading the Untapped Arena companion software over at untapped.thedivedown.com. It's free to install, free to use. Get some statistics about your arena ladder performance, and we get a little kickback in the process. So check that out at Untapped dot the dive down.com and this week on the news desk we have we don't we don't have anybody on the news desk this week because the breakdown this week is going to be stan's rant corner try to say that without <laughs> saying stance tant corner i don't even know <laughs> also look to be fair it's kind of lame duck format all o- over magic new sets coming out bunch of shakeups nothing particularly noteworthy is happening in the formats that we pay attention to we also have 21 pages of notes because you all kept adding cards. We have so many cards. We're never going to get through these. That's fine. There's a whole bunch of ones we don't need to talk about at the end. Also, this is the first time the three of us have been together in three weeks. And so we need to get some screaming out. And so let's start. <laughs> let's start now. <laughs> so first of all, I, I said this to you guys, but I need to reiterate. As much as I missed being on the podcast last week, I love being able to listen to the show when I'm not on it and just being a fan because it reminds me how special the dive down is. So you guys did an awesome job, you know, carrying that banner. Shane, you're a decent host when I'm not around. Yeah, you know what? It's it's not an easy job, nor is it fun. So I'm glad that you do it. <laughs> and you know, that's the kind of chemistry that 35 years of friendship will buy you. So there you go. The stuff that people want to listen to on the radio. You know, as much as I enjoyed listening to the show, though, and hearing you guys start to make sense of the new set and really the mystical archive in particular that's coming out with Strixhaven, I was deeply, deeply troubled by some of your tempered opinions about the impact of the mystical archive on historic moving forward. Deeply, deeply troubled, huh? Deeply troubled. You're like somewhat, you're sending a note to our parents. You're, you're that troubled. See me after the pod i'm not fishing for a fight but i think you guys were dead wrong about everything and i want to know who gave you a podcast (laughs) you did (laughs) to be honest to be fair 
All right. So that's not actually true. I, I'm just really eager to kind of share some of my assessment of these cards and, and think about the format out loud a little bit and, and join in on the conversation because it seems like a good time. Yeah. And I also think there's one major thing that we didn't talk about last week other than Stan's opinions on the cards, and that is the economic impact of this type of thing on arena players. And so we're definitely going to talk about it at the end of this segment once Stan is done giving us what for. Mm-hmm. So since you were tempered, I feel like I should just come out swinging. Please. I feel that there is going to be more cards that are at rare in Mystical Archive, i.e. cards being introduced to Historic, that end up seeing play than maybe we as a podcast gave credit to last week. Rather than just a handful of becoming role players, I think we're going to see a lot of these just pop up across decks for months, at least until the next big shakeup comes in historic. Okay, so you think that's not what we said? You, 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 think, you think we were, we were poo-pooing on all of them, Inclu- including Brainstorm? Oh, no. No one poo-pooed on Brainstorm or Faithless or IOK, but I think that uh, some cards like Manatithe or Harmonize or Electrolyze or Chaos Warp maybe didn't get the credit that they deserve. It's because those cards are terrible and not up to modern power level of magic cards. Or or even historic power. But I mean modern era. Oh, yeah. Contemporary. Like Uro era power of magic cards. I haven't seen Uro in weeks. I don't think that card's playable either. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so give, give us give us the intro here, Stan, yeah. about what, why why you think more spells matter than perhaps we we gave them credit for. I think you've kind of alluded to it, and it's that the mystical archive is just instants and sorceries that are being introduced to the format, almost like a supercharged anthology. It's like five anthologies rolled into one. Okay, And this huge influx of cards don't have to meet, in my opinion, the same threshold that creatures would entering Historic, because right now, Historic being such a board and creature-based format, these instances and sorceries don't have as much competition within the format for given effects. And for that reason, if you want a certain effect, like, say, a Stone Rain effect or a draw effect in green, you don't have as many other options to do that as you are about to get with Storm Rain or Harmonize, for example. Mm-hmm. Great. So talking about the nature of instants and sorceries gets me into a second primary point that I want to make, which is that hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> hold on. I, so long. I, yeah. I don't. I don't think that we're disagreeing here, Stan. I think like I think that we evaluate Dave and I. I think evaluated the spells around around the existing power level of historic. And it wasn't like we were saying like, oh, these aren't. We don't see this harmonized being played in modern. So this, you know, this spell sucks. Is this spell even legal in modern? Yeah, I don't even know. It is. It's yeah. in time. But like, yeah, I think fundamentally, it's like I think there are certain spells we put in the C tier mm-hmm. as things we expected to see now and then, and maybe be potential role players or be tested. So something like a Stone Rain, I just don't think it's going to be something that's like very playable in historic because it doesn't have a deck. That it goes into. Like, I just don't think people are going to be, like, casting stone rains for value. Sure. Right? Sure. And, like, something like, you know, let's say something like Electrolyze is, like, Electrolyze has a very certain metagame in which it, I think it has good value. And I don't think it's, I don't think that metagame exists in Historic right now. Like, I don't think, I don't think Electrolyze, like, as a three-mana shock 
like uh, cantrip is uh, is worth where, where we're going here. But I mean, like, I don't want to. I don't think we need to nitpick individual cards because I think your point is not about these individual cards, but kind of about what this means for how historic plays out as a format in the future because right. of this influx of new instants and sorceries. Right. I mean, Electrolyze, though. I don't understand how you guys think Electrolyze won't see play when Stomp sees play. And Electrolyze, if it kills a single creature, is a two-for-one. That's the point. That, that's what no, I'm saying. No, no, well, what we don't have... Draw, drawing, drawing a card versus ha- getting a card, getting a 4-3 that, that you can cast at any time with the Punisher effect is, is very different. Also, it's very, it's very specific to the types of deck that want to play a card like Bone Crusher Giant, whereas Electrolyze is like, okay, well, I, I paid three mana for a, a shock effect that, like, that recycled itself, and the tempo is just a totally different play altogether there, too. Sure. It also doesn't have a deck that it goes in. I don't, I don't think that matters, because there's a lot of cards that didn't have decks, like, until a card was introduced, and suddenly we have, like, angels and elves. Yeah. And so you I mean, think that fair. Electrolyze is going gonna, is gonna to catalyze red-blue control? I, I think that what we don't have in historic, and, and maybe we'll elaborate this on this in a second, is a lot of instants and sorceries that are guaranteed two-for-ones. We don't have K-Command. And Electrolyze, if it removes a single creature, is an automatic two-for-one. And that's the type of power level that we are getting from more of these spells that we potentially didn't have before. We do have K-Command, by the way. It's called Prismari Command. It's basically the same card. Okay, I, okay if... I think this is okay. We are going down this road, Stan. Then of of, <laughs> of analyzing electrolyze specifically. Sure. And I think that not not all two for ones are created equal. Okay, as well. It's not. It's not like just because a card is a two for one makes it worthwhile of play. There's plenty of standard cards that are two for ones that don't get played in pioneer, historic, or modern. Like it's not. That's not the baseline, right? Like we have the mana value of the card in the first place. We have the tempo at which the Two for one effect actually takes place. Does it take place over multiple turns? Does it require you getting another turn to then like use the card from hand? You know, it's like there's all sorts of different ways in which a two for one can be a better or worse thing. And I think Electrolyze is like one of the lower value two for ones that I think we can come up with right now. And that's probably why it's particularly safe to just print directly into Historic as well. So like like again, I mean, I don't think you you need to defend electrolyze, and I don't think we need to attack electrolyze for like another five minutes. I mean, I lo- I, I love that- the card. You know, I'll play it if it's if there's enough decks in the metagame that it's good against, and there's a deck that runs r- red blue that can use it. I mean, I I've been playing Jeskai Control in modern on and off for years, even when that wasn't good. But no, yeah. Shane's right though. We don't necessarily need to split hairs over individual cards, but I think from a higher level. Talking about the nature of instants and sorceries gets me to the second point, which is yeah. the overall power of some of these instants and sorceries, especially working some cases in tandem with one another, could impact historic's gameplay in that the format just play patterns are different moving forward. Because to me, if you look at the top 10 historic decks right now, most of them are just playing to the board. Like it's, it's just creature city. And that's, I think, part of why Blue-White Control is such an effective deck in the format, too, because it's able to lean into the power of Wraths, Wrath of God in particular, that clear the board more so than counter spells or point removal, which are relatively weak in this format in blue and white colors. So once we get this slew of cheap, efficient, 
and largely interactive spells introduced overnight, I think players now have all these new incentives to play to the stack instead of committing entirely to the board, which is an existence that we don't have in historic right now, where you are incentivized to play the most efficient and powerful creatures possible. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible. I do think, though, that if that deck exists, the non-play-to-the-board deck, it's going to be like Mind's Desire or Storm. It's going to be the payoff for that, probably, right? Or what, what do you think? Or you well, just think there's a lot of new options coming? It's We have 30 new options coming. Like, it doesn't have to be one new deck that emerges out of this. It could even be decks like Auras or Shadow that can now play Mana Tithe as this really efficient way to protect their spells, play more mid-rangey to disrupt their opponents with a literal hard counter, or, you know, a dive-down effect, essentially. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, so if, if we were to say... so we weren't going to do individual cards, but is there a list of four or five cards that you think we underrated that you want to give like quick, yeah, quick hits on move to like the B tier. Yeah, so like, we had a broad, a ton of cards in what I think we would call C and D, which is like D is like, don't think it's going to get played. C is like, you know, maybe a one or two of, or it's going to be fringy, but what cards do you think uh, we didn't give proper credit to just, even if you just list them out, we don't have to talk about them one by one, but just so yeah. the listeners know. Yeah. I mean, I think, Harmonize is a really interesting effect to have in green now that green didn't have that you can cast on turn three. Like it's turn three, draw three cards, maybe even refill your hand. I think that's pretty significant. Okay. I think Stone Rain being able to destroy an opponent's land on turn two is pretty significant. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Teferi's Protection, I may be looking at that card a little bit through rose-colored glasses because of how powerful it is in a format like Commander, but that's a really powerful fog effect that does something so truly unique that there's just no other cards exactly like it in that it's a fog effect that just shuts down combos, can like make an opponent fizzle out entirely, protect your entire board in the process too. Like It's a fog effect with, with four modes on it, essentially. Okay. Manatide? I don't know. I think Manatide is insane. <laughs> if Manatide was insane, it would be played in other formats. It's like literally played in one deck in modern. It's like a rogue deck because they are destroying the opponent's lands. So they no longer have the mana to pay for mana tithe. But we can't measure every card in historic by its pedigree in modern because the formats are so different. It's true. You know, like uh, I, I was thinking a lot about the blue eye wizard that's legal and that's in, in humans. Teferi, blue eye wizard? You mean uh, meddling mage? Meddling, meddling mage. mage. Yeah. So he's playing one. Modern deck where it's really powerful, doesn't see play in any other decks in modern, it's historic legal, doesn't sniff historic play. Is Meddling Mage a bad card? No. There's no deck around it. But like that's what I'm saying. It's like I don't think Mana Tithe is like not to me like a a value card. But like, but I I do see what you're saying, which is like the cards that Mana Tithe will be countering cost to more. So you'll probably be able to catch your opponent out a few more times because it's like well i've got to tap out for my four mana sweeper yes or like my my three mana conditional sweeper type effect because i can no longer wait to cast this and play around mana tithe and you blow them out with a mana tithe but as i always as i feel like we often have conversations about stan is like that's a card that is also potentially dead a lot right and so it's like like the best case scenario is sure you blow out your opponent's like four mana sweeper. The worst case scenario is this card never had value to you when it could have been an aura. 
And like, of course, that's where you can say, well, maybe it's a sideboard card. And that's fully feasible, right? But it's like, is there room for that type of effect? Is it better as a protection effect? And I know that you're not saying like Mana Tithe is a new aura uh, tier one inclusion. Right. But like, I think it's always, I think it's important to like, remember like the, the floor and the ceiling and the floor of Mana Tithe is garbage. Sure. But I think you can say the exact same argument about literal Thoughtseize in black, white auras where it's a horrible top deck does nothing in some matchups and then other matchups you use it on turn one or two, probably turn one or three really to take out a wrath and then you just run away with the game. But I know, I know that you're not saying, I know that you're not saying Manatide and Thoughtseize are the potential equivalents, but I think Thoughtseize, Thoughtseize's floor is a little bit higher than Manatide's. The point I I'm trying, by and large, the point I'm trying to make is we have all these new disruptive instants and sorceries that don't exist in the format, and having all of these all at once in five colors is going to change the format more significantly than just having like brainstorm and you know remand and faithless looting. Okay, yeah, I mean, I think I can buy that. I think that what what I do agree with is. And something that I think you're hitting towards is that a lot of these cards may be a little bit more playable than we thought they were and might lead to either new tech appearing in decks that already exist or potentially enabling a couple of other decks to exist in more of a tier two-ish space. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yes, exactly. And I think that's not just my thinking, but that's really my hope is what what this archive does is that by giving players more incentive to play to the stack instead of just committing to the board, we'll have more diversity among decks in general. I mean, I'm I'm I would sure love for people to be play like play more forty nine percent, fifty percent decks as like if if it means that I can keep winning you know, with like a fifty six percent deck. Feel free. I mean, who doesn't love mono red snow when they feel like scratching that fifty percent itch? <sighs> it's so bad. It's so average. All right, so I mean, <laughs> so my question then to kind of bring bring this along a little bit is, does this make you happy? Like, how do you feel about these cards in general coming in? Like, I think Shane and I went through this progression where we, when we were watching the spoilers come out, yeah. we were like terrified. And then when we actually did the exercise of ranking the cards, I think we both kind of were like, you know, it doesn't seem quite as disruptive as it did at first pass, although there's still a lot of power in here. And it's certainly, I think one interesting equivalent that you pointed out is that this is going to be a lot more impactful than like the, the archives have been like, this is more impactful than a single or sorry, than the anthologies. Yeah. This will be more impactful than one of the single anthologies have been, but it, it made me feel like it wasn't going to invalidate like every deck at the top. It wasn't going to change things. It's like, there's a few new decks that are going to be enabled. I think a few other decks are going to get a good amount better. And then everybody else gets new toys. Where are you kind of at on that continuum? Like you just think it's going to be a massive shift or. I think that best case scenario is you play a best out of seven event or best out of five and you don't see the same deck twice. And I think that's actually what we want. And I think, likewise, by having more variety among deck types and the type of strategies that people can play, you can potentially introduce new players to the format, too, because now, like, let's say Stone Rain does create a deck, okay? And there's people in Modern who love Ponza or people from Magic's history who love Ponza-style decks. Like, maybe now they're incentivized to get into the format, too. And I think by having more players by virtue of more variety, I think is ultimately a good thing. 
here's my ultimate fear stand. And this is like the kind of stuff that I just feel like we have happen often. Like we had happen with modern horizons, right? Which is like, look at all this opportunity. And maybe it'll be like, even make people be able to play decks that aren't that great. But like people don't want to play decks that aren't that great. And like the cream will continue to rise at the top. That's not and what my like, matchups say. People love playing decks that aren't that great, including me. <laughs> and 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 then we'll sort of just acknowledge that, look, okay, well, there's, yeah, Storm Rain is not a value card, and there's not really enough of a prison-y, taxes-y style deck to make it a thing. Maybe there will be. That'll be cool. But like, my fear is, like, it'll just sort of, like, make the best decks even better and not really create, a, there's not, like, it's, it's not enough space to make mediocre decks or even new great decks, I don't think. But that's what Modern Horizons did. I don't. I don't agree. Yeah, I, th- I think that it it it's weird. Like in the rearview mirror, there's a bunch of things where Modern Horizons created a bunch of scary decks and a bunch of abusive decks, and then it also made a bunch of other decks a lot more interesting through the re- through the uh, the new cards that it added to the format. I I think that one thing that we're kind of dancing around here and. Let me know what you guys think about this concept, though, because it's a concept we've talked about a couple times, and I'm just shooting from the hip right now. Is you know we talk about a lot amongst ourselves about this like concept of format pillars, cards yeah. that you know, cards that lead are so powerful that they lead to archetypes being built around them, and whether that's a powerful payoff or a card that's really high value, there's kind of like a list of cards that are the pillars of modern, right? That are things that are sort of, they're sort of like the magnetic poles that things constantly get attracted to over and over again. Like Aether Vial is a card that happens over and over again and, and things like that. I think that the take that I ended up with from last week was that the cards that were new format pillars out of the archives are really faithless looting and brainstorm and mind's desire and time warp in in my mind. And the rest of the cards are playable and I think will show up all over the place. But I think that as far as like new areas of gravity within the the historic metagame, those are the real movers and shakers that we're looking at. Do you think that that was a wrong take? And you think we were just too harsh on everything else or what would, or do you think there's even more, are there any other pillars that you think we missed out of in that group? No, I actually think that summarizes it pretty well. Like, yeah, there will be a potential change in tier one, but I think we're talking about the same thing when I say tier two expands and you have more viable fringe decks that kind of ebb and flow with the format. Yeah. And and as new cards come and go. Yeah, you're being a bit more generous to kind of the tier two stuff than maybe we were in our discussion, which I think is fair. You know, and, and possible. And one thing I would say is certainly in the constraints of arena, there are a lot of people who pick a deck that's kind of fringy. They fire it up three times a week to have some fun. And then they like go, you know, they, yeah. they leave and like they ladder <laughs> up to where they ladder up to low plat and they, they don't play more than that. And that's fine. Yeah, those, talking about me. Well, that's also me right now. But, you know, and those are the people who maybe they don't shift around too much, but they really love that harmonizes there and they're just going to play elves with harmonize and maybe that's a good version of it or maybe it ends up not being a good version of it who knows maybe the whole metagame shifts so that elves isn't good anymore but i i think that that is kind of like definitely something that makes a lot of sense to me yeah i mean stan i think it's good to have hope i think i thought that we were like surprisingly moderately hopeful even for even for me last week but i'm fine with you being even more hopeful than we were (laughs) uh I think that we spent more on that than I even expected. Uh, I think we, I want to briefly touch on 
what this means for historic as a format in the future. And to me, this means that like masterpieces are back. And if you aren't familiar with what a masterpiece is, it started with Kaladesh and the inventions. Is that correct? Or Battle for Zendikar and the expedition? It was Battle yes. for Zendikar yeah. was the first one. Yeah. So basically that was when they printed special foil cards at a chase rarity that would randomly appear and it would be cool cards that you wanted to get for a while. And then they kind of were like, oh, we did this a little bit too fast. We made too many every set. We don't really know where we're going to go with it. And so we had to kind of stop it for a while. And now it's back. And then in this, they printed these directly into historic, as we talked about last week and this week. One of the issues with this, however, is that we're getting like a lot of cards upshifted in rarity. The re reason for this is vaguely feasible, but what it does in the arena economy is put a lot of pressure on players wild card supply because a lot of the cards that were even commons are now rares and so if you want to play with some brainstorms play with some faithless lootings or all that kind of stuff you're going to be spending a lot of your wild card supply or opening a lot of packs hoping to get these uh the odds of which are not that great and they're not that good stan I think I see you making a face. Well, it's 25% to open a rare archive card and every pack has an archive card. I don't think it's 20. I think it's less than that, but even, okay, even 25%, like let's say you, there's like 16, there were 16 rares. There were four rares in my top tier, right? Which is 16 cards. If you want, and then there's like, there's like 15 different rare cards. So like the odds of opening the ones you want is very low indeed. Even if you want, like, even if you did open a rare, you're like, cool, I got a rare. Oh wait, it's like one that's like, I don't even want. Oh wait, so, it's God's willing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I, I worry that this is a continued pressure on the historic players wallet because, you know, as we always mention, historic is growing forwards, backwards, sideways. And if this is a continued thing, we're going to have even more sideways growth along with anthologies and things like that, then dang, it's going to be pretty challenging to keep up with the historic metagame and card pool. It's, it's 26.4% of draft boosters will have, have a, yeah, but there's, have but there's, a, there's a lot of rares. Yeah, but there's lots of rares, like a lot, a lot of rares, right? I guess my point though, is that comparing it to just masterpieces, isn't totally fair because your odds of opening one are significantly higher. True. That's totally true. I also think that there's yes. another reason that these are pretty different from masterpieces. And it's that I don't think this is going to happen again sometime soon. You know, I think that this is something that they thought was a really fun flavor thing for the story of Strixhaven. And mm -hmm. they decided to do it from that aspect because it would let them reprint some cards, which they like doing. They like finding outlets to do that. It makes standard cheaper if there are high price reprints in the booster packs. Also, I think it's sweet for like draft. You know, it adds like a storytelling dimension to it because, you know, part of the plot of Strixhaven is about getting like cool, powerful spells out of the archive. And that's really on theme for a college of wizards and so it all makes sense it resonates very well storytelling wise and this is like a long way of me saying i don't think that the impact on historic was like planned mm -hmm. at all i think it was just kind of like another instance of where historic is sort of this weird even though it's gaining momentum with players and we enjoy playing it and they seem to enjoy supporting it it's not like a planned progression it's sort of like this weird bin of where they just throw half half formed ideas and just see what happens <laughs> Do you guys get this feeling that 
because so many of these new spells, or all of these new spells are rare and mythic, that Arena Historic is becoming a premier digital format in the way that Modern and Legacy are premier paper formats. Where it's, it's almost by design intended for people who are willing to invest a little bit more into the game than people who want to play kind of like 15 bucks a week for your one FNM draft. Yeah, it's funny. I kind of think it's the other way around where I feel like we want it to be that because we're kind of like these because we're casual spikes and we want to find a way to perform. But I almost wonder if what they really want it to be is like Brew City. Like the economics are so out of whack that if you're not a whale, you just have to like brew up what's fun and try. I mean, it's sometimes I think that's what arena is in general, but yeah, I'm not sure. Like there, I don't, I think they keep thinking that there's some thought going into what things are happening in historic. And I just don't think there is. I just think we're here to like, enjoy the chaos. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of chaos, they did say that they're going to ban, they're willing to ban aggressively if something gets out of hand. And the language yeah. was reminiscent of the language when pioneer was introduced. Yeah. In that, I don't think they committed to a weekly ban announcement, but I think it just makes crafting around some of these cards a little bit more dubious. Yeah, because the thing that worries me about that is like, you know, you know, I want to play Is It Phoenix. And yes. so when Strix Hazen comes out, I'm going to like fork over, you know, 200 bucks or whatever in packs because I don't have any Phoenixes. I don't have, I have like none of the cards from that, that deck. Well, actually those are, those are mythics, Dave. So well, you're I, good there. I do have mythics. That's true. I do have plenty of mythic wild cards, but I, I don't have the rares for any of that. I don't think I have the land. So it's kind of like, I'm going to craft a red blue deck for the first time and wow. be like, okay, so if they Whoa. ban faithless looting three weeks later and I get four yeah. wild cards back for that, it's like, stuff. cool. I have all my steam vents now and maybe I didn't that's need good. them. So, uh, that's a bummer. Well, maybe the lesson there for Dave and listeners is, be wary of what you craft. Don't craft anything you don't want to cast otherwise. Or maybe I'm not going to do that. You know I'm going to cast those phoenixes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, just wait a while. I, I'm waiting. I'm going to wait a while as much as I can. Yeah. I'm not just because I, I played phoenix in standard and yeah, you've early got historic. It. So I, 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 I'm lucky in that all I need are the faithless and brainstorms. Yeah. Do you guys want to talk about Abundant Harvest? Modern yeah, Horizons 2 staple. Yeah, last thing before we move on to the real Strixhaven cards. I wanted to talk about this card when you were on, Stan, because I think it's something I think you would have some thoughts on, too. Like, this is a preprint, like you mentioned, of something in Modern Horizons 2. Going to be legal in Historic and Modern, not Pioneer, weirdly. So I think this card's cool. I, we didn't actually write the text down of Abundant Harvest because we're clever podcasters. I've got the text right here. Oh, Dave's got it for me. Abundant Harvest costs a single green, and it's a sorcery that says, choose land or non-land, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card of the chosen kind. Put that card into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any, in a random order, not any order, because any order is bad for digital. Isn't, isn't this just a really good card? Like, this is a really good card, right? You can just keep a one-lander in, like, your green base deck. You can draw it late and filter it into, like, a creature you might want. Like, this is, like, this is like a good card. It's not once upon a time, but not everything has to be once upon a time. Here, here was the one thing I was thinking about last night with this is, is this card just better than Opt? Because, like, with Opt, aren't you often when you're playing it, if you're not going for a, a spell trigger or an instant trigger of some kind, aren't you just looking for a land or looking for not a land? And so this just lets you choose 
Which one do you want? Well, Optus Instant. That well, yeah, that's what I mean. But at the same time, it's like this will help you late game and early game, maybe a bit more certainty than that did. Stan, what do you think of this card? I don't know if it's better than opt. Everything's better than opt. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, can I just run this in Phoenix? Like if I was going to do like a no, weird because it's green, green thing, but <laughs> green, red Phoenix. I think the card seems good. Once upon a time is a really interesting comparison, though. Once upon a time was so broken that it incentivized decks to put a single forest yes. in there. Like, I don't think this is going to make Titan tier zero again the way once did. And I don't think it's going to make Eldrazi Tron play a forest again. I mean, I think you could just play this like in, you could play this in freaking Jund. Yes. I mean? Yes. I, I think it's going to scale well in greedier decks, of course, where it's like if you can, if you can go into a fetch land and produce up to three colors of options on turn two, I think that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah. I mean, you're this, never playing Traverse is, to Ulvenwald again, for instance. This card is worse than Ancient Stirrings, though, like benchmark wise. Like, it's not in decks that can run Ancient Stirrings. It's not like you're yeah, suddenly I'm not, running I'm not this, this instead. This is bad. Yeah. yeah. So, this is for decks that can't run Ancient Stirrings already. Yeah. I guess this is for decks that don't want the selection, but want kind of that surgical precision of I need a land or a non land. I need to convert a card into a very specific other card type see i don't even know if this card needs hey, this card doesn't need to be like i'm searching for a very specific target it can just be like value it can just increase the consistency of your openers it can you know it, it cycles well late i just think it's like a, a good all-around all very cheap green sorcery and so like why not but maybe it doesn't turn out to be the value i anticipate i don't think it's like breaking anything i just think it's like it's Mm -hmm. an easy card to use so people will use it do you think anyone would want it in historic like i think its implications are more apparent for modern than historic i think it depends on how easy it is to run if it's like if it's easy to run in like almost any green deck then sure historic will want it but like you said, I think it, it it depends on the kind of like the overall way it fits into decks that are out there. Yeah, I mean the thing I just worry about is that it if this just turns out to be just like adventurous impulse, basically, yes. which is like yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of cards like this, yes. right? Okay, all right, that wraps up our confrontational breakdown for the week. You guys want to take a very quick break and then return and start diving into more individual cards from Strixhaven, School of Mages? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yep. All right, stay with us. And we're back. Guys, I have a crazy idea. You know how people sometimes refer to the colors of magic as Wooburg? W-U-B-R-G? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... uh yeah yeah paging dr wooberg what if we went through the cards that we want to talk about in that order starting with white okay let's do it i get this card right yeah you get this one this is you this is all you okay the first card we're going to talk about today is clever luminancer is it luminancer luminancer not luminancer either one it costs a single white it is a human wizard it's an oh one and it has magecraft 
with whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Clever Lumamancer gets plus two plus two until end of turn. What can I say? Last week's episode, I said, will we get a one drop prowess creature? And I think that this was the best I could have hoped for, for something that has a magecraft buff with it that they would have plausibly printed. Honestly, this is the best you could have hoped for. You could have asked for more. I, I don't think we would have gotten more. This, some people are going to do the, the meme with this where someone's like, mom, can I have monastery swift spear? And then mom says, we have monastery swift spear at home. And then it says, this is monastery swift spear at home. <laughs> Don't buy that people. Okay. This card looks so good and fast because of that plus two plus two. When you think about it in the tasty modern shell that I love called prowess with things like lava dart, manamorphose, all your Phyrexian mana spells, all that kind of stuff. Dave, I will mention prowess is usually not in Boros. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. So this card is, of course, super fragile. It also dies to Lava Dart, which is a problem for this. But if I think you really think about this card, the floor of it isn't that bad. Swift Spear is clearly better because it has haste and it has an extra power and toughness. Soulscar Mage is likely better because it has extra power and toughness. But if we break it down for a minute, losing one power isn't that bad. It's much more of a problem to lose the one toughness because Swift Spear and Soulscar Mage are really bad if you don't have spells anyway. There's, it's pretty hard to close out games if you don't have a way to give them prowess triggers one way or another. So I think that the main problem, if you line these cards up next to each other, is the lack of toughness. Because if you think about it this way, uh, Lumamancer catches up to Soulscar Mage and Monastery Swift Spear on a single spell cast. And if you cast two spells in a turn, Luomancer is bigger than either one of them are. So you get you you do get more bang for your buck. You get it faster. And in a world where we occasionally run Blister Coil weird in decks like this, I think this card is clearly better. So in that sense, it's hard to deny that there's like space for it. But the real problem with this card, of course, is that Prowess does not run Boros right now. And I think that they knew that when they made this card, that they didn't want to necessarily load up red or blue with another kind of plus one, plus one effect on spellcast. And honestly, it's not really that much on theme for blue. If you think about them trying to do like color wheel stuff for what Magecraft would do in different colors, making creatures bigger, I think fits in with white a little bit better. So you kind of get it. So I think that the problem is, of course, what, what deck does this go in? Are you going to play red-white prowess that comes with some challenges? Is it a little off theme for just straight Luris burn? That could be something, though. If you go red-white, you have no threats that survive a deck full of Blood Chief's Thirst and Fatal Pushes, which is one of the biggest things that's good about blue-red prowess, is that you have threats that avoid those really cheap uh, removal spells. You also have no evasion is the other problem with that. And so I'm not quite sure kind of where this card fits in, but I think it's super playable on rate. I think it's super, it's going to find a home. I'm just not quite sure exactly what that build is right now. Yeah. I mean, I think the floor is not great, but again, like you said, the plus two plus two is really strong. Ah, uh, I don't know. I, I sort of look at this as like 
a landfall creature that we've always discussed in the past. Like, you know, let's, let's, Oh, if you hit a couple land drops with your fetch land and whatnot, then like, this is a, this is a crazy attacker. Yeah. But I think that take is not great because we already have so many priors that fit with this specific ability being good enough for play. It's different from, from landfall Mm -hmm. and Seriously, the one the one top of power I really don't think that makes that much difference between Swift Spear and uh, Soulscar Mage. It's almost like yeah. those cards could be O twos and still be playable. Honestly, yeah, I think you're probably right. I th- I think you're. I mean, it's, I'm also that was a bit of a a specious argument. Like, I think it's easier to cast more spells and has to make a bunch of land drops. Way more, right? Like absurdly yeah. more. So that's true. A couple things. So for starters. We're only thinking about this for modern, right? Because like Soulscar, as it is, doesn't actually see a ton of historic play either, or only sees play in Pioneer when it's paired with Swiss Spear. Right. I mean, I do think that there's a space for this in both of those other formats, mostly because of the fact that this is a wizard, mm-hmm. right? Which is another thing I brought up on last week's show. And Stan, why do you think I'm looking for wizards? Because they're the best creature type? Because you're Hagrid? Because I'm Hagrid. Yeah, yeah. wizard, clever, exactly. Uh, because they're like I, good shaman? Exactly. Because I want Wizard's Lightning to be good. That's that's why. And I think that this the fact that this card enables that is actually pretty big as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. You keep talking about how this has zero power and that's not really a problem, but when you're playing Prowess, you're not casting a spell every turn unless you're either going to close out the game or your opponent has a creature that you're trying to remove. There's a non-zero amount of turns where you are attacking with a one-two. This is a great point. Actually, and I I hadn't thought about the number of times where you just leave mana up and swing in with a one-two, get the one damage, and then go for it. I I do think that that's a fair point, Stan. I think if the deck... I would would revise what I'm saying earlier. I think if the deck was all zero-power creatures, yeah, you couldn't do it. But I think as something that supplements, yeah, I think I, I still hopeful for it, even in that context is something that supplements this, the good one drops that we already have, but it's true. I mean, the other thing about this, of course, is that you can, you can ramp it up to a giant size to kill somebody extremely fast with this, which is totally possible to do depending on how things work out. Yeah. I mean, plus two, plus two is twice as much as plus one, plus one. Yeah. And in magic, it's, much more than twice as much, right? In in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I guess my parting question is Wizards Lightning is the is the level one, but is this the deck and card that makes Defiant Strike a playable card in modern? You mean Feather? Yeah, I don't know about modern, but I think it could be playable in make it more playable in uh historic or I don't I actually I'm not sure if Defiant Strike is legal in historic, but it is. in, it was in uh, Pioneer. Yeah. Because those are decent cards. Right. And it's just kind of like a crash through that needs a target, but you're only casting it when you have the target. Right. That's kind of the point. Exactly. Gentlemen, I insist we move on. We have so many cards. I think this is one of the best cards in the set, though. I, I think saying. it's a very good... It's, it's worth the time we gave it. Yeah. It's 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 Cat Buddy, Leonin Lightscribe, one and a white for a Cat Cleric, a 2-2. Two, two. Just a bear, you say. Well, it also has Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, creatures you control get plus creatures you control get plus one plus one till end of turn. Mm-hmm. Is it weird? I think this has more potential than Luminancer or whatever his name is. Like pumping the whole team, including itself, is pretty darn potent. 
especially when combined with like the prowess or magecraft abilities of those creatures themselves. Mm-hmm. So there's some huge potential of like snowballing and it's not bad on its own. So like, this isn't like some enabler that like sucks without anything else on the board. Like this is a perfectly adequate card as a, what speak a speaker of the way or whatever the heck it is or a seeker of the, of the way. way. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think this card, if, if clever luminancer finds a deck, this, this card is probably in it as well and probably does uh, fills in some other holes, especially if this deck becomes a thing in historic or something like that. Like I think you're kind of priced into playing this card as your two drop. It's a good card. I, I think it's just got less burst potential than Luminister does. And of course one drops are many times greater than two drops, but I, I'll definitely be looking to craft this card pretty early on. If it pops up in some decks, Stan, are, yeah. do any of these appeal to you? Or are you just fully out on any prowess stuff these days? It's just not your vibe anymore. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I'm trying to buy my eighth copies of... <laughs> I'm trying to get your old copies of uh, Sw- Monastery Swiss Beer so I can have eight of them. I mean, just, just buy the old borders. <laughs> it looks They look so much better than I thought they would. It's yeah. so annoying. I just, I just yeah. don't want to spend 40 bucks on a place of commons. No, they, they're, they're dropping. They're, they're at a floor. I think okay. they were six bucks a pop for me, but... So wow, this guy, Dave, to answer your question, I think cat cleric just being a cat and a cleric is maybe a liability, but maybe it's more of a liability than I give it credit for. And it's not actually a liability. Wait mm-hmm. until clerics lightning, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think this effect is interesting because, you know, Adelie's the cinder wind, I think would be good if it was a two drop. Yeah. But that one also has flying and haste. It has haste. Yeah, exactly. It's huge. But, but the fact that you pump your board with a, cre- with a single non creature spell, I think is actually really significant in like, you know, historic brawl where I periodically play Adelie's. <laughs> I mean, a three, a three drop in an aggro deck is so much different when it's like, I untap with like my, even just a, let's, let's say a, a, a one drop, a two drop, and then I untap with another maybe hasty one drop and then a couple spells in my grip. I mean, this is, of course, like living the dream, but that's right. what these decks are designed to do and they do frequently. Right. So. Yep. I, 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 do like how, I like how it curves out. Like, I think you play a, an aggressive one drop, you play this, and then on turn three, like maybe you play a hasty threat and then like one or two <laughs> spells. That, that actually seems a really powerful turn three for an aggro strategy. Duh. Thanks for confirming my idea, Stan. Nice. Nice. Okay, next card. Shane, you want to read this one? Mavinda, student's advocate, two and a white for a legendary creature, bird advisor, two, three with flying. You can pay zero. You can you, you may cast an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard this turn. If that spell does not target a creature you control, it costs eight mana more to <laughs> cast this way. Uh, I think you have an idea what you're doing with this. If that spell would be put into your graveyard exile and instead activate only once each turn, you still pay the spell's costs and timing rules for the spell still apply. Stan. Oh, bummer. Rules bummer. For the spell I hate when that apply. line of text is added to a <laughs> card that would have been good without it. Dave, does this feather? Why does so much stuff maybe feather? I mean, it's, in this it's got feathers, so it must feather. That's all I have to say. I have all feathers and I must feather my favorite, uh, weird nineties adventure game. I mean, it sounds like a, uh, Godspeed you black emperor track to me, but look, I, I think this card is like not bad in feather. The problem is that feather already runs Dreadhorde Arcanist. And so I don't know how many recursive things you want. So it's not like this is going to be a four of it's legendary. I think that, you know, 
it's nice to be able to cast your uh, cast your uh, your gods willing again or whatever you want to do to pump your cards. I still haven't seen Feather coalesce into like a really solid deck in uh, in Historic. I've mostly seen it in Pioneer still, and it's still good there. I think wins challenges and stuff like that. The main thing to keep in mind is that this incentivizes you to keep playing Reckless Rage, which is also available to you in in Historic as well because. This also targets your creature, so you can recur both pump spells and at least one removal spell with Mavinda's uh, <laughs> ability, which is nice. Mavinda. I think what it's a cool. Funny name. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Next card is Strict Proctor. One and a white for a spirit cleric. It's a 1-3 flyer. Whenever a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability to trigger... Counter that ability unless its controller pays two. This, this card is a lot more important than it looks at first, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Important because it's got flying and because it's a spirit? Uh, it's the three toughness. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also because it's any, whenever a permanent, this is the first card that has an effect like this. Yeah, almost, yeah, although m- many of the cards that have this effect just say creature come into play. Yes, exactly. So this is like Amulet, Titan, and Valakut. You mean, it's like there's all sorts of things that this stops that, uh, let's say, Hushbringer does not, right? Like, so this is the first creature of its type, especially at this efficiency that's doing this kind of thing. Like, of course, eventually the opponent gets out from under the tax, but there's just so much use here. Yeah, and especially in a format where in modern, like modern, where people do these swingy effects so early, there's a chance that this can make it into people's sideboards. Or, you know, if you just don't really care, the metagame is really bad, and you're in the right deck, you can play this in main deck in something like a Bant Spirits, Blue White Spirits, or even something that cords, cords or searches for hates. You can you can kind of make this work for you there too. But it's symmetrical, so I think if you're playing this in Spirits, it also potentially thwarts your own Spirit plan. But which, I mean, which cards particularly, it's mostly just, uh, like Neville chains, right? Yeah. You don't run Harold in, in modern too often, right? You run mostly, I guess it's been a minute since I've seen a blue white and, and spell deck. queller. Like, yeah. Spell queller. That's not great. That's true. So but sometimes you need it. So maybe it's always a cyborg card. Yeah. I mean this, I think it's a little bit more of a hate bear than a, like a spirit card though. Mm-hmm. Spirits can obviously run this on the sideboard. Like if the metagame calls for it i wonder if having that permanent text is that important in our metagames or in our formats that it's like actually better than hushbringer a noticeable percentage of the time because how many other like permanents really cause triggered abilities that we care about besides like some of the ones in the amulet deck that you mentioned i think more than you would think at first glance yeah i mean it's lots of things it's even like uh, things that come into play with tokens on them or something like that. Like it's a triggered ability. The tokens wouldn't happen unless they paid for it anymore. So I think there's, this is one of those things where like the more you stare at it, the more you're going to find places that it just messes up. You, you could also run it because it's symmetrical to like undo your own taxes. So we got Schlesinger and Sless. We've got Schlesenberger in the chat talking about Lotus field, but like you can use this to counter your own Croxa trigger. If you want to, 
put it into a Marty shell. Right. If you want to do some wild cheaty stuff. I think the mana cost makes it worth trying. This card is cool. Absolutely. Okay. I got two last white cards. I want to talk about really quickly. One is those are yours. huh? Yeah. Guiding voice W sorcery, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. It has learn. There's a whole cycle of one CMC learn cards. It turns out, which we talked about last week, wondering if they would do that or not. I think and then the rare, the rare lessons I think are mostly interesting as well. Yeah. I, I think that this one is the best one personally. I might be wrong, but it just seems like the one with the broadest applications and the right kind of shell to put a single mana card in it. I don't haven't seen any lessons that make this worth worth running, but even a card that puts a plus one plus one counter and then lets you discard and draw is is not bad depending on what you're trying to do with the rest of your deck. So I think there's a chance that this is the type of learn card that could be worth it. So yeah. that's all I have to say about guiding voice. Keep an eye out for lessons that are really good as tech that you want a one mana card for, for because everybody has a tool that they can use for it now. And then the last card I wanted to talk about was show of confidence, which is one white and instant. When you cast the spell, copy it for each other instant or sorcery spell. You've cast this turn. You may choose new targets for the copies, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. It gains vigilance until end of turn. Mm-hmm. So we so we all know that this card just has storm on it, right? This it's like, just this is storm. like when they had landfall that they didn't call landfall. Kind of. I mean, it's not any spell. It's only instants and sorceries, but and it doesn't count copies the way that ma- Magecraft counts copies. But here's the thing that I think is super wild about this card is that it doesn't trigger prowess, but it but when you cop, put copies of this on the stack, they do trigger Magecraft. So you're basically doubling down on pump you have as you play this. And I think the math goes really wild really quickly. So maybe if we're playing this theoretical red-white quote-unquote prowess deck, it could have this as a way to try to close early. So for example, on a turn where you have three mana with Lumimancer or the Lion Out or both, on turn three you go like Manamorphose, Lava Dart, Lava Dart, Show of Confidence and you get four show of confidences, seven magecraft triggers and four powers triggers off of that. Man. Yeah. You know what I think this spell pairs well with? What's that? Crash through. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing if you didn't. I'm glad That's I said awesome. it first then. Yeah. Oh man, you sound so much smarter than good. Right and, <laughs> and the only reason I say that is because like putting a bunch of one one counters on a creature is good, but vigilance is not evasion. And I think right. if you're trying to have this big explosive turn, like and it gets blocked by a token, you feel pretty bad. Uh that's what the lava darts are for, Stan. That's also true. But but yes, I think that crash through is really good with this. And you get to draw extra cards. So yeah. yada yada. Maybe you draw a Phyrexian spell and then you're paying other stuff. So I just think that this card is one to keep an eye on because Wow, the math gets crazy fast. Yeah, that's 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 pretty bonkers. That's pretty good. Thanks, weird storm card. <laughs> All right, we're up to the blue cards now. Test of talents, one in a blue instant. Counter target instant or sorcery spell. Well, Shane, that's just negate. No, that's 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 uh that's just dispel that costs one more. But you get to search the controller's graveyard, hand, and library for any number of cards with the same name as that spell and exile them, then they can shuffle and draw a card for each card exile from their hand this way, but they won't care because you probably stopped their combo. This seems potent to me. It's like a counter spell with a surgical effect, and that's going to be pretty useful for anti spell combo tech. 
Combine that with a low mana value, easy on the color requirements at one in a blue. I think this has some use in every format, depending on how spell combo we were talking here. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there have been similar cards to this earlier in Magic's past that cost like four, <laughs> like much higher CMCs. The fact that this just costs the same as a normal counterspell, two mana is huge, I think. Yeah, I think this is a role player, not an obvious shoe in. Like, it would be nice to have this instead of something like Negate if you're worried about certain combo situations. Exactly. Spell based like this, combo this situations. This will be like the. Uh, anti-artifact card when when affinity is a thing or something like that. You know what I mean? Like this is just like oh, this uh, ad nauseum is getting too good. I need a few tests of talents in my deck or something like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think specifically part of this might be emergent ultimatum is getting too good. Let me let me have some yeah. of these in my deck. Well, that sounds good to me. All right second blue card that we have we only have two blue cards that we wanted to talk about today um, it was not very good in this set i don't think ingenious mastery uh x colorless two colorless and a u so it's got i think the same casting cost as stroke of genius don't correct me if i'm wrong uh the sorcery you may pay two colorless and a blue rather than pay the spell's mana cost if the two u cost was paid you draw three cards and an opponent creates two treasure tokens and they scry two. If this cost wasn't paid, you draw X cards. I just thought this card was wild to try to parse in my brain to figure out what exactly it's doing. So for three mana, it draws or for four mana, it draws one card, but for three mana, it draws three cards and gives your opponent two treasure tokens. So this card seems really bad, but (laughs) like, could it be good? Could three CMC for draw three be good? where you give your opponent two treasures and then you kill them. Like how, how risky is it to give them extra mana? Potentially pretty risky. Is it very risky? I think it's not a great idea. (laughs) Okay. I I like the idea where you cast this to win, but in what situations does drawing three cards win you the game? Anyone where I don't have enough cards. I mean, literally, there's so many situations where in the abstract, drawing three extra cards wins you the game. The problem is the fact that it sets your opponent up to do some stuff, too. I definitely don't think you want to, like, drop this on turn three. But if you're in the late game where maybe mana doesn't matter as much and you have some extra mana and you just need some extra gas, like, I don't want to go too deep on this, but I just thought it was an interesting card that I, I wondered how bad the drawback really was. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dave, is, I would love for you to find out. Yeah, maybe we'll try it. I mean, I will say this is only one mana less than Harmonize, and it's like Har- Harmonize. I'm like Harmonize isn't that good, but play this on a on a turn where you have a bunch of extra mana. So maybe this is just a full pass. All right, let's go to Black with another one of these interesting mastery cards instead. Baleful Mastery, three yeah. three colorless and a black for an instant that says you may pay one colorless and a black rather than pay this spell's mana cost. If the one colorless black cost was paid, an opponent draws a card. And it just says exile target creature or planeswalker. Man, that's efficient. I mean, drawing a card is that even? I mean, like, sure, it's a drawback. Yeah, I mean, but against like specific strategies, this is super useful. Yeah, you you are getting two for one, but in theory, you're trading one of their best cards for one of their worst cards, right? You're trading one of their best cards for what's probably going to be a land. Mathematically, yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be. <laughs> oh, here's here's where I think it's like 
more useful than just like, oh, I got your prime time. It's like, there's a lot of decks that want to, well, there's a, there's enough decks that want to cheat something in, whether that's like a Tybalt's trickery style deck or, you know, any kind of random deck where it's like, oh, I got my thing in, but I, I mold to four and I spent like three cards to do it. Right. And it's like, I'm going to win because I result in Ulamog on turn two. This potentially lets you counteract that Ugin, counteract that Ulamog, and then that's maybe game for you type thing. Even though they drew a card, they probably drew like some, what, some random, they got a Tormod's Crypt out of it. The problem with this is that like this is almost never going to be a main deck card, I think. And so it's like, well, and I think you see those style decks in like best of one on Arena. However, those kind of type of decks do exist in other formats. You're going to see them from time to time. The problem is, again, at what like density do you then start putting in Baleful Mastery? Or is Baleful Mastery just so good, even with the drawback, that you're going to have one or two in your sideboard? I think this card might be okay to have one or two in your main deck because it has so many different pieces that make it able to be used. It's low mana cost, instant speed, kill a Planeswalker. It's exile stuff which comes yep. up huge in think, lots yeah. of different matchups. I think this is the cheapest exile removal spell in black, period. Vraska's Contempt. is four. He said cheapest. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so this is one in the black if you want to pay for it. Yeah. I, I think what's cool about this, I do occasionally even see Vraska's Contempt get cast against me on Arena mm-hmm. as just like a card. Oh, so all the time. Like, well, yeah. Yeah, why not, why not have the flexibility? Like we see a Blood Chief's Thirst where that flexibility does matter. So I, I think this card is definitely part of Black Removal Suite across a number of different formats depending on metagame. Uh, draw cards sucks, but it's not terrible for the discount. So, Yeah. I think it just has to be better than Terminate. I, I think the Exile has to be kind of relevant where this is better than Terminate. Lash of Malice. Single black instant target creature gets... Lash of Lalice. Plus two, minus two until end of turn. So that's weird. Yeah. Flexible disfigure. So you're... Re- ne- re- refigure, right. I'll so call it. You're never casting this on your own creatures, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's removal or a pump. Why not? Like this has this is cool. Like this figure is randomly good and randomly cool. Like this has utility in like the less powered formats. I think it's not like some maybe new staple, but I think there's lots of ways to use this card. Totally agree. Big problem with this one is something that Shane has referred to in the past as namespace pollution. And I think what we have is one black mana removal space pollution that limits the utility of this card a little bit because Blood Chief's Thirst and Fatal Push are so good in so many different decks. It's like, how many decks can I run this? Can I run a one black, just a single black removal spell in? But I think on rate, this card is pretty good and it has some cool synergies. Your prowess creatures survive this card being cast on them. For example, if you wanted to for some reason or needed to to be able to push across the finish line, it makes Dreadheart Arcanist a 3-1, which lets you cast an even bigger spell out of your graveyard if you wanted to and had the opportunity. Though if you're building a deck that has three CMC spells in it, you're probably not running Arcanist unless it's in a very small quantity. But So this would let you like recast Coligan's Command in Pioneer or Modern if you wanted to, which is cool. Uh, yeah. It's not going to come up all the time, but it's good a kind of edge case use. Bedevil. 
like sometimes yeah, yeah so yeah, sometimes you, you need to cast fame yeah. to get arcanist to recast a bedevil and now you have a one mana way to do that that can also be a removal spell the next turn yeah that's great i mean that's totally like ways that you can make this work i don't know if this beats out enough stuff at the one mana cost tier but maybe it's enough to run in some quantity yeah the fact that it's got two modes essentially is probably the, the what's going to make or break it yeah whether or not this both modes are relevant wouldn't you agree though like this is only potentially useful with an arcanist like where else do you really see this maybe fitting in and in, in kind of the formats as we know them now? Prowess. Like I said, like you can you can have it as a fallback to get some extra damage in with prowess. That's that's in really a black it. prowess deck. Yeah, I mean there's red black prowess decks in, in modern. Maybe True. you've heard of it. True. I've I've heard talks. <laughs> though though it's not really modern power level, but I mean I think that there's stuff going on there. Maybe Pioneer, you can make some stuff happen with that too. All right, next up, Sedgemore Witch, Tuna Black for a human warlock. It's got Menace. It's a 3-2. It has Ward, which is pay three life. Whenever this creature becomes a target of a spell or ability and opponent controls, counter it unless that player pays three life. Probably always paying that three life. Mm-hmm. It also has Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, create a 1-1 pest creature token. And when a pest dies, you gain a life. Yeah. I, I only think that this card is worth chatting about briefly because I think it's the only ward card that might see any kind of play. And I think this card is is interesting in that in that aspect because, you know, playing a card, having someone kill it and take three life, it's not a huge thing, but it comes up sometimes being being hard when you're playing against like bone crusher giant for example like that punisher effect matters yeah i think that punisher effect matters more because the type of decks that bone crusher goes in are trying to lower your life total very aggressively yeah this one might too i guess for me the main thing i was looking (laughs) at this was like this is another kind of young pyromancer monastery mentor kind of effect and those cards can be good this one can attack more aggressively than other ones because it has menace. And so I think that there's a little bit of kind of aggro spells matter payoff kind of vibes here that could happen. Yeah. I think this is more of the monastery mentor tier in modern where it's just like people keep trying to make it a thing, but it's not a thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just like, you know, casting this on three and having to untap with it for value. It's, It's that thing I always talk about with like, you can play PZ on three and then immediately try to get some value out of it against certain decks, like playing this on four to try to do the same thing. is just not worth it. Like, I just think it's, I think it's much more marginal than that. And the ward effect is not very meaningful. Well, the only thing I would say is I feel not as bad playing this on three. If I know that my opponent has to use take three life. some of their turn, their corresponding turn and pay three life in order to get it off the board. And so I don't think that's like a huge tilt, but it does make it a little easier to play it without protection or without getting an immediate token out of it. Cause like you don't care as much. And I think you're right too, where like this having menace and having the punisher ward effect does lend itself more to like a Rakdos aggro style deck. And like, you know, that's the type of thing where just because it looks like monastery mentor doesn't mean it's going to be. So we'll see. We will see. All right, red cards. Not a lot of blue or black cards to talk about, although the black removal spells are pretty good. Oh, yeah, so, I think they're pretty good. There's a yeah. lot of multicolor here, so yeah. I think we're, yeah. keep, we're getting a little confident. Keep it moving. 
Uh, Let's skip this debate. card. Let's skip this okay. card. We had academic debate on our list. I think the white card, the white one si- one mana learn card is better. Uh, but if you want a red one for some reason, because you want to try to discard a Phoenix and you're not playing Haggle, you could do this if you want to. But I don't think this card is good. Yeah, I'm glad All we're right. not talking about it. Onward. Next next card is a cool one. Uh, first day of class, one in the red for an instant. Whenever a creature ETBs under your control this turn, put a 1-1 counter on it and it gains haste until end of turn. Learn. Remember what learn does. That's not reveal a lesson card you own from outside the game. It is discard a card and draw a card, a.k.a. a rummage effect. I did not come up with this potential use. I'm not that clever. I was reminded about learn's rummage ability, which could be used in dredge. Discard a dredger, immediately dredge, put those creatures back onto the battlefield with haste and more power and toughness. I like free hasty 2-2 two, two Narcomoebas. I like free hasty 3-2 Bloodgasts that always have haste. I'm not sure it's worth including this card, but I think this is a neat idea for another angle of attack of deck, decks like this. I don't think this is a card you're going to play fair. This is not like a card you're, I don't think you're going to do well with, like, I'm going to set up my next three one-drops or something like that in this turn because that's turn five and you had everything work out perfectly. And it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, just another way to play this unfair, as was pointed out to me by friend of the show, our lovely Twitch mod, Mickey S. This card also goes infinite with Viscerous Seer and Murderous Redcap. So this is another way to pay off a loop there if you want to, because if you have a persist creature and you sack it, it comes in with a plus one, plus one counter over and over again. It just comes back over and over again. And that's the ball game. So I don't know if there's a real shell around that either, either, but you know, persist creatures with effects like this always have a chance to do something. Maybe this isn't that expensive. Interesting. Interesting applications guys. Yep. Next card, grinning Ignis two colorless and a red creature elemental red return grinning Ignis to its owner's hand, add a colorless, colorless red, activate this ability. Anytime you cast a sorcery, only anytime you cast a sorcery, it's a two, two. This is a time shifted card that uh, was in the original future site stuff. And now here it is in a real standard set. The only thing I wanted to mention about this is that this card goes infinite for spell triggers with beer Hmm. So you can go into a huge grape shot or something like that. If you have the mana up in historic or any other way that if you want a bunch of creature spell or just any spell triggers, like with storm, here you go. Here's a way to do it with a couple of different cards that just goes all the way. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that storm has to overcome in historic with the addition of all these new cards is ways to produce mana. Cause there are very few in the format. Mm-hmm. And I like this idea, at least Bergy's also a three drop. So like you have to invest a lot of mana early to, to do some of that stuff. Maybe even play that weird card from Cal time. The red card. It's like open the omen seal or something. You know yep. what I'm talking about it's totally. got Tibolt on it. Yeah. Yeah. Open the omen paths or something. Right. Which I think that's mana used that can only be used on creatures. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I so this doesn't generate mana, though, to be clear. Like, it's mana neutral. It just gives you infinite spell triggers. Sure. So, yeah. So that's that's kind of where it's at. 
Okay, and the last red card, or second to last red card, which is a card that I'm interested in because you know I love those phoenixes, is Retriever Phoenix for three colorless and a red creature phoenix, Flying Haste. When Retriever Phoenix enters the battlefield, if you cast it, learn. As long as Retriever Phoenix is in your graveyard, if you would learn, you may instead return Retriever Phoenix to the battlefield, a 2-2. I don't know. This card is interesting to me just because it's a card that comes back into play with haste from your graveyard if you meet the right conditions. And so the thing that's interesting to me about it is like you can mill, you can cathartic reunion, you can faithless looting the same way you would with with our Arcolite Phoenix. It's a much more narrow set of conditions that make it happen, but at least if you draw redundant copies of this, it it triggers itself, right? So if you put two birds in the yard and then you cast a bird, you get the other birds birds back, which that's kind of helpful in some ways. So I, I think that there's some chance that you could do some kind of self mill kind of stuff and have this work out. But Dave, this is like a learn standard support build around. I'm I'm really surprised you have more hope than than that. But I I applaud I applaud your uh, your positive nature. Speaking of positive nature, how about Crackle with Power? <coughs> XXXRR for sorcery. Crackle deals five times X damage to each of up to X targets. And I'm thinking about whether this can see some type of storm play. It scales nicely with Brawl effects because not only does it make additional copies of Brawl and Electromancer better, but even if you have a single brawl out, it's lethal at 13 mana, which is otherwise storm five in a deck full of rituals. I don't know, Stan. I don't think so. I don't think so. But I'm fine being wrong. Storm five is easier than storm 20. And you don't, I guess you, you still need pass in flames. You don't actually necessarily need pass in flames, but you can do it without a gifts given. Let's give them something to talk about. You know, Stan, this is this is your retriever Phoenix I'm sensing right now. So so we'll just move on. You and I like red cards. We wanted to talk more about red cards. It's, it's we'll interesting going. that we didn't hey, really like that many blue cards, but here we I, are with weird red cards. Mm-hmm. As I always say, I'm i I'm fine being wrong. I just don't think I'm gonna be. Speaking of cards I'm fine being wrong about, charge through green. That's it. It's an instant. Target creature gains trample until end of turn, draw a card. Okay, so this is, of course, crash through, but green, but it requires a target creature. You can't just cycle it. That probably doesn't matter all that much in the decks that you're playing with it. Like, I feel like if you're if you're cycling crash through in a creature based aggro deck, you're probably not super happy anyway. So, like, maybe this is part of like a Selesnia or Gruul or like Naya aggro deck. Like, it's a Magecraft cycler for a single green mana. And gives trample like it's that's what Stan's talking about. Let's get our stuff trample. Yeah, I mean the targeting part is problematic, unfortunately, just because of how often you you just cycle an early crash through to be able to try to draw land or fix your draw or just do something. We don't have yeah. anything else to do, so that's too bad. I mean, I did I did hate that about that one uh, cascade card uh, in the those earlier builds of Tybalt, where you have you had to have a, you had to have a target to to cascade, and that really stunk. Yeah. Shane, would yeah. you play this in Gruel? No, I would not play this in Gruel, I don't think. I mean, man, maybe maybe there's something there. Maybe against maybe in the sideboard you can have a couple of these, but I think I'd rather just maybe have like a primal might. Excuse me, if you were pl- would play this in Gruel, wouldn't you already be playing Crash Through? 
Because it gives your point. whole team trample instead of yeah, just yeah, no creature. Yeah. No, I, yeah, that, does, that doesn't make any sense. Very specific. <laughs> we're gonna make it stay. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just it's, it's too often. I mean, it's just the the thing about Gruel is that every top deck is live. Yes, and almost every top deck is live. And this is lets you draw into those top those live cards. I guess if I could target my my uh, my blue white opponents. Uh, wall of omens or something like that okay. after they swept me the turn before okay guys new new gruel deck first off four crash through four charge through okay Perfect. build yeah. the rest from there you can take it from there take the rest of the day off everybody good job stan this card this stan we talked about this next card last week i know yeah. but th- I, when i saw this i had a different thought than i think you guys did it's dragon's guard elite one g for a human druid with magecraft whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery put a one one counter on it it has some flavor text which which is like four gg double the number of counters on it i when i see this i wonder if it's just doing a tarmogoyf impression in historic and pioneer where you put it you play it as like your cheap threat in a rock style mid range deck full of removal spells. Or, I just or, think there's or hand better. disruption. Like you can cast a top deck Inquisition of Kozilek and actually get a little bit more value out of it than you would otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I just think Scoos is your card for that, just because of the great the tangential graveyard hate. Even though you have to pay extra to make it happen, like I just I, there's so many extra things that that scavenging ooze does that i i think that's your tarmogoyf in those formats but this is a card that i had some optimism for a little bit in the kind of idea of doing like prowessy stuff with so maybe i don't know cool the yeah. rock okay. and his millions is back <laughs> young rock catch it on nbc uh thursdays so so that's it for the color cards that's it now we're going to go to gold and other stuff, but amazing that there, are, that there were so few kind of single single color cards that we wanted to talk about. This is are there more gold cards than usual? It sort of feels like a Guilds of Ravnica type set for sure. I think to make a set work like this, they they did gold cards, they did hybrid cards, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, yeah, I think there's more than usual just because to make the draft environment work to be able to yeah. like pivot around. Can I before we do gold? Can I just ask one real wild thing? Do you guys see that they printed fork at common in this set? <laughs> Basically, yeah, just fork. It's. I mean, it doesn't let you copy your opponent's spells, but how funny is that for Power Creep for Magic the Gathering that uh, 20 years later, a card that was restricted at one point in time and was like a great card you could open and revise as a common. And now in two colors of mana. Yeah. It's, and it's, Is it hybrid mana? Exactly. So it's even easier to cast. Anyway. Should, okay. This next, this next one's mine. Okay. Because it's, it's not we're, a Shane card. We're not going to talk about Fork? I don't know. Okay. Body your of popper, Research. Your, your Popper Fork decks? Your Popper Bolt decks? Just hear me out. Here's what I'll say that you guys won't respond to, and then Shane can non sequitur into Body of Research. With this new common Fork variant, you have 12 copies of that in formats that have RAL, Storm's Conduit. So, like, your, your RAL combo, that much more consistent. Rule of 12, baby. Okay. Why not? Body of research. Green, 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 blue, blue, blue. That's right. Six CMC. Uh, it's a sorcery. Create a zero, zero green and blue fractal creature token. Shane, that sucks. Oh, you get to put X one, one counters on it, where X is the number of cards in your library. This is a really big creature, a really big creature. Yes, it dies of removal, but there's removal for basically everything in the game at this point. 
yep. that costs two CMC or less. Yes, it costs six as yeah. well. <laughs> at the same time, I mean, at the same time, there are spells at six or seven CMC that might end the game more conclusively, but you are getting like a 40 40. <laughs> okay. Fling this thing. Go for it. Put it in Live a Yorian deck. You're getting like an 80 80. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 this is pre ordering at like $25. Is it really? Yes. Is it because it's, of, is it because of EDH? Probably. But I mean, this is, this is legitimate. This is a legitimate card. This is a card. Okay. Like this is going, this is going to end games from time to time. And you're going to be like, I've got no way to get this thing off the board because my opponent hit six mana. Because I'm not playing bounce or fatal push. <laughs> because I'm playing red decks. Because I'm not you playing I mean? claim the firstborn. Claim the firstborn. Like oh my gosh, that would be dope. <laughs> can you just make this card your commander so you can just do commander damage with it, or does that not work? It is. is it's not legendary. Only I legendary creatures can be commander spells. Okay. Listen to my anyway, other podcast. anyway. Anyway, this we've, we've given this card more time than it really deserves, but it's it's a it's going to be a, it's, it'll be a thing that gets cast against you. Trust me. All right, let's talk about double major. I, I had this card wrong in my brain, and I apologize for it. But I, it's still interesting. So it is green and a blue for an instant that says copy target creature spell you control, except it isn't legendary if the spell is legendary. Yeah, okay. I thought this was a clone effect. This is a spell on the stack only, okay? I mean, it's cheaper. It's just it takes you longer cheaper. to get to it. Like clone effects are typically four. Correct. Like there's been like a few random three mana ones, but that was like triple blue. So like this is a little bit less restrictive on this thing. Uh, I mean, making something a non-legendary is pretty cool. Like even something like a Kinnon or an Emery is like a value legendary. Niv-Mizzet decks, like why not? Like, I don't know. This is this is so efficient and it has upside. It's going to do something annoying and potentially broken, but maybe more cute. So I don't know. I wonder if Neostorm can play this to make copies and combo off with dual caster mage a little easier. I honestly thought so. this was a two mana clone effect that with upside. And I was just like, why aren't more people talking about this card? And mm-hmm. now I see why. So it still might be a fit for Neoform. In Neostorm. Please. Yeah. Neoform storm. Neonorm. Shane, why don't you take the next card? Neo- are you a Neonormy? Is that like how you think? Is that your vibe? Yeah. Man, I'm just taking I'm taking all these cards. Okay, Fracture. White and a black. Instant. Destroy target artifact, enchantment, or planeswalker. This is probably not a staple, but it's close to it. In that it's instant speed, two mana value, no downside. I mean the major issue is that it's Orzov. Uh, mm. but any decks with access to that mana are gonna find some use for this card at some point, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends a lot. I like this card. I think it's interesting that they took Disenchant and stapled Planeswalker Kill on it and didn't make it more expensive or anything. But I I do think it's interesting that this card exists versus the red-white card. What's that red-white card from last week called? The one that's a braid plus Disenchant? Plus, like, I, think uh, that's, yeah. I think that's what it's called. Tear, tear away. Yeah, rend, rend. Rend apart. Yeah, that card. So I think that this card is just like a lot worse than Rip Apart. You know what I mean? Just because this hit can kill a Rip Apart can kill a creature and this cannot. They're so close to the same card that I think the sorcery exchange on Rip Apart 
is really worth it to be able to lightning bolt a creature, honestly, even if it doesn't kill a planeswalker every time. So I, I like yeah. this card. I think that there are some decks that want it, but I think that uh, I think that one is just a lot better. Hmm. Now there is a better black white spell coming up later that we can talk about, but we'll we'll get there. Please. Rust Rebirth, another card. I, this, these are just a bunch of cards I thought were cool. Uh, Rust Rebirth, black and a green instant. Choose target creature. When that creature dies this turn, so that's that's a little presumptuous, search your library for a creature card with lesser mana value, put it onto the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle. This will do something. This will do something. Even in the deck, maybe even the deck that I'm like really interested in lately, which is Yawgmoth combo in modern. Uh, this doesn't even require you to have anything on the board at all. Like it can just combine with like removal you might have on an opponent's creature, or like maybe you have a death toucher or something like that. Let's you tutor up something for yourself off of your opponent's creature. There's value potential here, but I think more combo potential. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that there's a lot of options. 100% agree. It's kind of like an instant speed, you know. Eldritch Evolution? Yeah, Eldritch Evolution. But it does come with that downside of you have to have the creature die in order to yes. make it work. So yes. there's, there's complications there for sure. But... Being able to get yourself some value off of someone casting a removal spell at you, kind of, it's still kind of a two for one in that situation. So I, I do think that you have to, you can't really run this for value. You have to go get a combo piece with it. And I imagine there'll be some decks that make this work for that just because all the other kind of searching enablers by the fact that they often come on permanence, leave you vulnerable to some kind of removal before you can get your stuff going. Maybe here, if you keep it all stack based, you can pull off some kind of big combo out of nowhere and make it happen. But what's interesting is this card scales down in CMC as opposed to what we expect from pod esque cards, which get you up a chain. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of times when down is fine. It's just like, there's a lot of, a lot of decks have redundant pieces. Like maybe the lower CMC is what you actually need. It's, I don't think this is like, you know, the, it's the next broken enabler. I just think that it's a cool card you will see in decks. Yeah, I, whether or not it pairs with Yogmoth is, you know, one one thing. I do think this needs a free sack outlet on the board effect. Like it needs something like Viserysir or Yogmoth or uh, Carrion Crawler. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean Viserysir is the big one, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, I'll read one. Thrilling discovery. Red, white, sorcery, you gain two life. Then you may discard two cards if you do draw three cards. You're going to play this in your dredge deck that you love, Stan? It is card neutral, so <laughs> I like that. I, I just, I'm just playing it for the life gain. Yeah, I mean, why not? Against burn. It's almost Sometimes as good as lightning helix. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is a cathartic union variant, right? The gaining life doesn't suck, although three would be amazing to trigger silver smoke ghoul. Uh, there's a downside here, though, and it's the discard is not part of the casting cost, which maybe it's an upside because it's like, oh, well, you didn't throw those cards away from your hand. But usually you want to, like, throw away a couple dredgers. And if, like, emergency case, you're like, well, my reunion got countered, but at least I have a couple turns of dredge just there waiting for me. If this if this card gets countered, you did nothing and you have to get the dredgers in the yard in some other fashion. This also costs red and a white as opposed to one and a red, which means you have to splash white and have access to red, white on turn two. And if you remember way back in our dredge episode, 
you want to have access to green in your opening hand because you want to be able to cast light from the loam uh, with two, two lands, right? And so stretching this is kind of a, an issue with your mana to get early white. Uh, it's not necessarily where I want to be. It's like possible. It's possible. But it's, it's dangerous to assume that you can just slot this in. I think people are always way more ambitious with their mana, especially in dredge, than they can be. Because mana is tight in dredge. It's way tighter than you think it is. Because you have to have green. Because if you don't, then your mana engine's not online for anything else. So, I don't know. I think that this is a feasible spell, and I think people will test it, and it won't be me right away. <laughs> Thanks, Shane, for fighting the good fight for someone. Yeah, for myself. Here's another Orzov spell. Vanishing Verse. White, black, instant, exile, target, monocolored, permanent. This card's cool. I think it this card is yeah. very good. It exiles anything. It, 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 <laughs> anything and as, everything. Yeah, as Literally long as any, everything. As long as it's one color and not colorless. Yeah. Or an artifact, yeah, or a multicolored creature, yeah, like you said, Dave. Um, I mean, it, it, Some it gets rid of a lot of it gets rid of a lot of stuff. It though. can answer the Great Henge and Emperor Cleave. Ooh, and uh, that the the flying thing, the the in the white decks. Yeah, uh, not Skyclave. That doesn't fly. Nissa that Mall, shakes Mall, the world. Skymall, Skymall, Skymall. But I mean, okay, importantly, this hits Heliod. Okay, it hits all sorts of important threats. Uh, very efficient and exiles go for it it's i mean it's it's going to be a sideboard staple i think in any white based deck that's going to have some interaction yeah esper control asperka is that what i hear it's called now control it's very popular right now from my from what i understand i just straight up opened a deck list the other day and was like oh we're just running esper charm now and it's decent in modern i guess which is wild people people will never give up the Esper Charm truthers are—they're more than even the uh, the the Arclight Phoenix. The Phoenix truthers—it's an automatic two for one. It's always a two for one. You know it is. You know it is. All right, I'll read this card. I'm not going to read this whole card, honestly. So the card I want to talk about next is Mila, Crafty Companion. And oh man, Luca. I was so close to putting this on here too, Dave. This card's cool. I think this card is really cool. So Luca or Mila does this thing. Where it's a two three for one white white legendary creature fox. Whenever opponent attacks one of your planeswalkers, put a loyalty counter on each planeswalker you control. Whenever a permanent you control becomes a target or spell or ability, draw a card. So it, uh, that your opponent controls, namely. So it has like Shaper's Sanctuary on it and also has a thing that makes your planeswalkers bigger, which seems all right, even for a, a three mana, two, three, a Hurlerin Minotaur. And then Luca on the back is four red, red. And has plus one, you may discard a card. If you do, draw a card. If a creature card was discarded this way, draw two cards. Minus two, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of your next end step. And then minus seven is you get an emblem with pandemonium, basically. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals damage equal to any target loyalty five. This is a lot. A lot for uh, I mean, I a so. modal do double face card. Yeah, but when you look at this versus like Will and Rowan, I feel like yeah. it's like absurd how much better this card is than Will and Rowan. Am I am I wrong? No, you you are so right. This is definitely a very particular mana requirement though. Like right? Like this is like this is a particular style of deck that's going to run this card. Uh having access to double white 
pretty early and having like planeswalkers that you maybe want to get loyalty on or other permanents like the shaper sanctuary effect is v cool luca's cool like he's expensive i think i mean i agree i think there's a lot of text here the text is largely pretty good and the the mana value is almost there for i mean that's what you get with a double face card yeah i mean i i think that this card is like i am going to discard I'm going to use faithless looting to discard something gigantic. And then I'm going to corpse dance it with Luca. Like that's an okay plan. It happens. Sometimes you can, you know, play around removal or uh, graveyard removal long enough to make it happen. And there you go. There's not a lot of effects like this available in, in, you know, in historic and pioneer. You do have Gorio's vengeance for most of the stuff you'd want to do with this in modern. So, but I think it's super powerful. I do wonder what's the best thing that you can get out of your yard because something like Ulamog doesn't actually feel that good. Like on the one hand, Ulamog is a cast trigger and on the other hand, it swings for 10 and it exiles 20 cards of your library, but that's not necessarily game ending. I think it's probably, it's probably Crater Hoof Behemoth and Historic and mm-hmm. then we'll Oof. see where it goes in, a, uh, in Pioneer, but that'd be my guess. Interesting. All right, here's a card I put on here. Uh, this may take you by surprise. It's an is it card. No. <laughs> you are for a sorcery. <laughs> sorcery. Uh, expressive iteration. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them in your hand. Put one of them on the bottom of your library and exile one of them. You may play the exiled card this turn. This is a two mana draw two that you can use to play lands. And in that regard, it reminded me a little bit of Light Up the Stage. Yeah, I definitely thought about putting this card on the list. I think that there's a chance where this works. You just have to, you do have to think about playing it on turn three, I think is the big thing here. So it's it's tougher to play For it on land. turn two. Yeah, so that you can have this be your land drop. Because that's ideally what you want, is to have that, you know, play the exile card, be your land drop drop a one drop or something like that. So I, I think that there's something to this card for sure, especially in the in the non-modern formats. Yeah. I wonder if the biggest problem with it is that it doesn't put anything in the graveyard. Like it, it puts a card on the bottom or ends up in exile. Yeah. So, so the, the floor seems low, but the fact that it might be a two mana two for one, I think is something that stuck out to me. Yeah. It has to be a two mana two for one to make it worth it. All right, here's another card I put on our list. It's a MDFC. One side is called Flame Scroll Celebrant. The other one is Revel in Silence. Celebrant is one in a red for a human shaman two one. Whenever an opponent activates an ability that isn't a mana ability, Celebrant deals one damage to that player. Uh, it also has one in a red and gets plus two plus zero until end of turn. And then the other side, Revel in Silence, is Dub Dub Instant. Your opponents can't cast spells or activate Planeswalkers' loyalty abilities this turn. Exile Revel in Silence. <clears throat> and when I saw this, I was wondering whether this might be a type of, very specifically, Heliod Hate, potentially in Modern or other, you know, in Modern Burn or other Boros decks where it can both shut down Infinite Life. But uh, the creature's head can beat infinite damage if you're ahead on life, and you can 
maybe cast the backside to turn off a combo turn. Stan, if, if I remember correctly, you were playing Magic when Amonkhet came out, right? I sure was. Do you remember the arguments about Harsh Mentor and whether or not Harsh Mentor was going to be a thing? Yeah, but that card's and awesome. Har- and now Harsh Mentor never was a thing. And Harsh Mentor does twice as much damage for people activating non-mana abilities. Yeah, but that one's just a two-mana 2-2. Two, two. This is a <laughs> three-mana 2-1. No, it's only, it's only, it's it's, only two. It's mana. also only oh, two. Oh, oh, it is that's a 2 makes That's what makes it even, like, that's what makes it not just immediately throughoutable. Yeah. I think. Like, I mean, this, the silence, the silence is, is interesting, right? Like, that's what gives this, that's what makes me not just be like, Stan, I'm deleting this card. We're not talking about it because Harsh Mentor is a thing. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think that this type of effect has not proven to be something that is how people are combating uh, something like Heliod necessarily. Because I think, you know, you like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Burn does have enough of like many effects to stop Heliod without resorting to running a, a two mana two one. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I had, like, I but think it's got fire it's, breathing too, so you can attack with that's, it. That's a good point. I mean, I, I do wonder if cards like this have been forgotten about, right? Like, let's say you play this, and then like Heliod's like, oh well, poop a doop. I forgot about that card. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it certainly would be a thorn in the side of that deck. Yep. But yeah, silence is such a specific ability. It's such a specific ability to have. You know what I mean? And you, you can't cast like if you cast revel in silence you lose it because it exiles so it's not like you can recur it or do like some weird abeyance stuff or anything like that with rebuying the creature and yada uh-huh. yada yada yeah. i don't know i mean the utility is nice it's definitely an interesting card wish it was a wizard i wish it was one in a white like double white is rough yeah yeah here's a card that should have been in green and for some reason i put it into gold so my apologies to my co-hosts and the listeners. Oh my gosh. Ecological appreciation X2G for a sorcery searcher library and graveyard for up to four creature cards with different names that each have mana value X or less and reveal them. An opponent chooses two of those cards, shuffle the chosen cards into your library and put the rest on the battlefield exile ecological appreciation. So I was surprised that none of you guys had mentioned this yet because a guaranteed two for one, but more importantly, it puts creatures right on the battlefield. And I like that it actually scales throughout the game while also putting creatures or getting creatures out of the graveyard. So like if for some reason you lose a creature, you turn one mana dork in theory, you can, you know, get your noble hierarch back too. I think this is too expensive and giving the opponent choices is very bad in many decks. Like in, in this style of deck, I think especially like, I think it'd be pretty tough to get the type you like to create a creature combo would be rough. It's expensive to do that. I think there are options, but I don't, I don't love it. So I think the only way that this card can see any type of play is if there is a if there are four one mana creature spells that somehow make it able to have a combo and you might be able to get away with four two mana creature creature spells that make, make a combo where no matter what decision your opponent makes, it is a bad decision. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And I don't know what those cards are. I have a suspicion that if you're going to do like a one mana thing, it's going to involve Viscerous Seer somehow as one of those four because it's a sacrifice outlet for no mana or like Carrion Feeder. So maybe that's the other, another one that goes in that slot. But I think that this is much more of a combo piece than it is anything else. And in that sense, it could be good, but you have to be really next next level. I almost put this on the list, but I didn't have any suggestions on how to make it work. I don't think this is a value card, though. Right. I, it, I mean, it's like gifts can get in. Like, you don't play gifts for value. Unless you're crazy. Yeah, like the only, right, but the, the, only, but the big difference here between gifts and and this is, you know, it, they don't go to the graveyard. Sure. sure so sure. you don't get that uh, buried alive mm-hmm. benefit that you get off of gifts, weirdly. It's a guaranteed two for one, though. Yeah. All right. Should we talk about brown cards? Uh, you think there are any worth talking about? How about Zephyr Boots? Single colorless artifact, single colorless mana for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature has flying. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you draw, then discard. So you actually loot. Um, and it's equipped to. And I wonder if you can play this in black, white auras because that's a deck that doesn't have enough as much evasion as like a blue white auras deck. So here, not only are you giving uh, your creature evasion, but because of your two drops in that deck, your hand is always full. And I kind of like this idea of using looting to actually then filter your hand too, where drawing and discarding card every turn doesn't feel as bad because you're, you're choosing between your seven, six or seven best cards every turn. Yeah, it's a hundred. I think this is an interesting take for this card. The only problem is you don't draw a card off of it when it comes yeah, it to the play. Yeah, it doesn't trigger core, right? It doesn't trigger core. Yeah, it doesn't trigger core, which is like maybe not the biggest problem in the world. So I could see this being something that gets a slot or two in in that deck. Like um, when 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 the ground's gunked up, like it needs to go to the sky. Oh my god, thing. that's the worst thing about the the black white auras deck is that it has to. It only runs angelic gift, yeah, and it only runs a, a limited quantity of those. And so you really really need cre- a creature to have evasion quite often. And so the fact that this puts looting on that, I think, could be great because it's a long term value. So I, I I think that this is a, a pretty good card in that sense, especially since it draws a card off a of SRAM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not bad. Okay, we've got. Maybe like six, seven, eight minutes left. Uh, let's let's cherry pick out some stuff from our honorable mention section that we are particularly interested in. And since I brought this up, <laughs> I'm going to go first. Okay, you ready for this? Sure. You ready for this? Sure. Beugroff. Okay. <laughs> One in the green. Running the green for a plant dog. Okay, plant dog. You're a five four, but as an additional cost to cast plant dog, <laughs> you have to sacrifice a creature or pay. Three generic mana. This is probably way too magical Christmas land, best case scenario mentality. To assume that I'd have some token or maybe some 1-1 one, one that I'd have around that I'd want to sack for this. 5-4 for 2 is a good rate. There's a lot of ways to generate tokens. There's a lot of ways to get creatures back out of the graveyard quite easily after I sacrificed it. Even innately on the card itself, there's a lot of black cards that come back out of the graveyard. Bayou Groff, y'all. Do you remember when Bayou Groff was was King George in Hamilton? It was amazing. He was in Frozen too. He didn't have a so- have a song in Frozen One. Is that the guy from Mindhunter? Jonathan Groff is his name. Yeah, um, he's great. I, I don't know about this card. Like I I want it to be good. Like I I love the idea of sacking something to have a have a have that. But I just don't know. 
Plant I mean, Dog still, is my favorite I just don't know Nickelodeon if, cartoon. If even in the card, the decks where this would be good if it's good enough to make it happen. And so I feel like I've seen a lot of people mention this for Popper, which I don't know anything about Popper, but like maybe that's a more reasonable place for it to find a home. I saw people mention it as like, wouldn't this be fun to play off a burning tree emissary? And I'm like, no, not really. No, no because you would just, <laughs> you would just play those cards that discard a card for a five, five. If you were going to do like that register or something. Yeah. Whatever those cards. I don't even remember how many different cards there are, but there's a lot that do that. So I don't think that's a way to go with this either. But maybe with the persist creature. Yeah, it's, I mean that's that's the kind of stuff. But like, it's not good. This is not really modern. Yeah, jobs. it's just not enough power for that format. I don't think. But like, but like, whoa, mono, whoa, whoa, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you, whoa, whoa, why whoa. not? I mean, two mana for a five four. That's actually not insignificant. Yeah, but it's two mana for a five four. That means I have to play a three. That means I have to play a three drop first. You know, if I'm playing and, Kitchen and Finks or something. What's the rest of the deck doing too? That's like, the I mean, main like, problem. Yeah, you don't you don't just put a persist creature for value typically. I mean, that's part of the benefit of like a deck like Yogg is that like you don't have to combo. You get some value out of your persist creatures, right? Or undying creatures rather. I mean, I think there's options. I don't think it's great. I think it could be like in a pioneer black green stompy style deck, just fine. Remember that format? Uh, you you all pick pick a card from the honorable mentions that you like. I, uh, okay, I'll do one really quick. So I, I liked Mage Duel, shamefully, which is two colorless and a green for a sorcery. It says this spell costs two less to cast if you cast another instant or sorcery this turn. Target creature gets plus one plus two until end of turn, then it fights target creature you don't control. You play you playing teamer teamer burbs? I mean, I'm just thinking about prowess with yeah, this teamer, teamer prowess. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's red, green, maybe it's green, white. Like there's weird stuff that could happen in other formats, but being able to remove a blocker plus pump a, a spell for one mana when you've already cast another spell, I think is a reasonable thing to think about being okay. Maybe, maybe, but I, you know, I love one mana spells this is a one mana spell that does two things. You, you have to be able to, to target a creature. It has to fight. It's not up to one creature (laughs) that you don't control. So that makes it a lot harder. Oh boy. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, bad top deck, (laughs) potentially bad by itself, high synergy. So we'll see. I don't think it's good, but you made me pick a card. All right. I'll do one. And then should we do overall thoughts and close out? Yeah. All right. right, Here's my one. Strix Haven Stadium. I looked at this. I looked at this pretty hard. Yeah. All right. So it's three CMC for an artifact that has tap to add a colorless and you put a point counter on the stadium. It also reads whenever a creature deals combat damage to you, remove a point counter from Strix Haven Stadium. And then whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to an opponent, put a point counter on the stadium. Then if it has 10 or more point counters on it, remove them all and that player loses the game. So this is probably a commander card, if that. But I found that it was pushed in very interesting ways, beginning with the fact that it is a rock. So it's not just sitting there waiting for you to do other stuff, but that you can actually tap it for mana makes it actually kind of a playable permanent by itself, right? And then it also uh, grows every time you use it for mana. So like you're incentivized to use it as a rock. No reason why you wouldn't otherwise. But I also like this go wide design 
people kind of compare it to a go-wide infect that I thought was pretty interesting. And I wonder if this is maybe a way that certain aggro decks that otherwise can't beat like Angels or Heliod or Infinite Life in general might be able to have a plan B out of the side. Here's the big thing about the way this card is worded. It's that a lot of times when we have cards like these with alternate win conditions, they say, if during your upkeep, it has 10 or more counters on it, remove them and you win the, that player mm-hmm. loses the game. If you, if you reach your end step, blah, 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 blah. So it's not based on a certain timing to trigger it other than just having 10 tokens on it. Am I, am I reading that right? Like I whenever you get correct. to 10, it just yeah. goes off, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah, it has to happen. It has to happen during the combat damage step phase, whatever. Because it happens, it tr- it happens whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to opponent. And it's not going to happen any other time. Okay, anyway. so it right. does. Well, no, actually, no, 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 it no, could. So, so yeah, that's a big because point. You, you can't add the tenth to tap it for mana. Right. So this does have a restriction like the other ones. Maybe it's a slightly more achievable one because it's yeah. it's in the middle of the turn. But I do think that's a little. So I was optimistic on it a minute ago because of that. Now I'm a little <laughs> bit more pessimistic on it because it's tied to a certain phase of your turn to make it work. Mm-hmm. And that can be a real hassle for cards like this, but I definitely thought that this card was interesting because it was a rock as yeah. well. It's no Maryland or Slumber, but maybe it's almost as good. Right. All right. So Y'all, we've talked about every card. I was, you know what? Strixhaven's cool, you guys. It's cool. Is it? I think it's cool. I think it's a pretty big win. Okay. And I'm surprised to say that. I think a lot of the creatures seem underpowered. I think there's maybe some role players here and there in a format like modern, especially. I think there's there's just enough cool creatures here and there that we've talked about. Like maybe it'll do something that does something. They do novel things. They do different kinds of things. And I think that that's neat. I like the spell quality here. I think there's a lot of efficiently costed interactive and flexible spells. I think it's going to impact historic pioneer, probably even modern. There's 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 spells for dredge. There's a, a lot of spells that we haven't even seen their type before. Like there's just novel spells. I'm sure we haven't evaluated right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's gonna be a lot of stuff that has impact in weird and cool ways. I think it's a really cool flavor win. I think the limited and standard both environment looks like some cool build around opportunities. I'm I'm happy overall with what Strixhaven ended up looking like. Here's my question. Yeah. Where are the Strixes? Where are the Strixes? What, what, are, what are Strixes, Dave? Are they like owls? owls. Yeah. Okay. Baleful Strix is an owl. Right. Why isn't Ooh. Baleful Strix in the set? I honestly thought that there was a chance that Baleful Strix was going to be in this. I mean, I know that card's super powerful, so don't, like, don't get me wrong. But I was like, are they going to do something like a riff on Baleful Strix? Or are they just going to make it happen? I, this is a little bit close to Dragon's Maze, where they had this set called Dragon's Maze with no dragons in it. So we have one Strix in this set. So it's such a Strix haven that these kids hang out with a ghost Strix. That's a, that's all they get. You get one spirit owl. The end. I think that there's not... This is another set like Kaldheim where I'm skeptical about its impact on modern at all. There are some pieces that I think make sense. Uh, some interaction, like Shane said, I think Stern Proctor could be something. I think Lumamancer and the Lion could be something 
depending on where things go. That's kind of it other than maybe the dredge pieces, like Shane said, Mm -hmm. but very worried, very not worried, very interested in historical archives impact. You're more worried about the archives. I'm not worried, but I think they will be more impactful and more fun for me as far as where my mind is on magic right now. Yeah, I guess that's where I'm at, I'm at because the archives captured so much of my attention early on. They were essentially the first, you know, cycle of cards that was spoiled outside of the commands that were truly playable, that nothing else really impressed me in comparison. So that's kind of the bias that I have to reveal that I'm just so excited to play with Faithless and Brainstorm that I didn't really see anything else that got me nearly as excited to play in modern or other formats. <clears throat> Though in terms of impact, I, I do agree that it might be another call time where we might see a few role players throughout formats and maybe there'll be something that needs to be banned in a couple weeks. And I kind of hope every set has a card that is immediately banned and it's just like a crazy spring break of excitement for you know a couple weeks. Ten. But whether or not there's an eventual correction, right? It seems mostly low-powered, low-impact on the modern strategies that I like to play and think about. And that's why... Nothing has truly captured my imagination in the same way that uh, previous sets have. And I think that's okay. Like, we kind of want modern to be more or less static with just like small upgrades here and there rather than earth shattering upgrades every set. And that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern or pioneer or historic or commander, Dave's our commander guy right now, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. Joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret Slack channel. It's always a party in the Slack. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. You can sign up for Mana Traders using promo code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, and get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. If you play Magic Arena, you can support the Dive Down without spending any money by using our affiliate link to download the free deck tracking software at untapped.thedivedown.com. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week... Get out there and find a strip.